All right, hopefully you read that. You, you, you have it in your head. I'm gonna read it again, but now keep this story in your head and we're gonna go over this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed from Tarshish to flee from the Lord. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. The sailor said, the sailor said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is, what is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will be calm. I know this is my fault, that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to roll back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. We're not going to read verse 17. We're going to save that for next time. All right. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. Can I get a volunteer to read that? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. Go for it, Connor. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Paul is very clear that all scripture, and he's primarily talking about the Old Testament, though I'm pretty sure he feels the same way about what he's writing and what everyone else in the New Testament is writing, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, 
and training in righteousness. But it's also wisdom literature that is to train you for salvation, rescue, deliverance. God's scripture makes you wise for salvation, wise for deliverance. And so this story is a part of all the stories of scripture that will make us wise for salvation. And so the Old Testament is wisdom literature. And you can read the rest of the quote, man. I put it up there so I didn't have to read it. That's what the Old Testament functions as that. It points us to Jesus. Every Christian says the Old Testament points us to Jesus. That's why we are Christians and not Jews. And this story, at the end of it, hopefully in the next, after we do the four chapters, we will be able to see Jesus more clearly. This first chapter, we're not going to look at Jesus per se, but he, his story is all through this narrative. And hopefully as we circle back to chapter four, we'll look at chapter one and all the other chapters and see Jesus and see messianic expectations throughout this entire um, story. But we're going to save that to the end. Also, we're going to save applications and moral lessons to the very end. So you're not going to get that today. So if you're like, what's my takeaway for today? You read chapter one. (laughs) That's your takeaway. You read chapter one. We're going to save it to the end. These books were intended to be read in their entirety and not broken up in segments. That doesn't mean you can't learn verse by verse different things, but we're going to save the moral lesson for the end of Jonah. With that being said, just a little bit about the genre. Jonah is located in the prophets, what, what any Hebrew, would have, Hebrew um, person would have called the prophets. They, they broke the Bible up into three sections, Jewish people. They broke it up into Torah, which is the first five books. The prophets, which is kind of those middle books, and then the writings, which is the Psalms, Proverbs, and it has some narratives in there as well. Jonah is located in the prophets. The prophets primarily deal with God's unfolding story and how how they're in line with the Deuteronomy covenant. So that's really important because Jonah's story is a little bit it's a little different from what you guys already read already. So with that being said. The prophets played their role was the conscience of the people. They were the like we feel it now where there's certain injustices happening and things happening in our community. The prophet was the person who was like, OK, I'm going to stand up and speak that and speak to that injustice according to the Deuteronomy laws, according to that, not according to whatever cultural standard, but according to what they believe God was calling them to do. And so the prophet's job primarily was to critique the Israelite nation. Because they were called to be faithful to God. And so that in the areas where Israel was unjust, they they said something. And in in the areas where Israel was worshiping something other than God, they said something. Sometimes at the cost of their own life. But they primarily, most of the prophets we read about are located in Israel. And so we read Jonah. Anyone knows what Jonah's name means? Anyone want to take a shot at what his name could mean? John. (laughs) It doesn't mean John. (laughs) Remember, there's no such thing as a bad answer. Anyone want to Google it and see what Jonah means? (laughs) Google it. Google is your friend. In 2021, Google is your friend. He's scratching his head. I always get caught for the head scratches. Dove. Jonah's not a pigeon. He's a dove. He's a dove. 
There's no pigeons in the scriptures of men of God and people of God. We're no pigeons. Those of you who grew up in the 2000s, there's a song called Pigeons, which isn't funny, but it's not a good song. Okay, so Jonah, he's dove. That's going to come into play. And his dad's name means faithfulness, faithful dove. So those two things are going to come into play in in the middle of this story. We're going to see. All right. So most of ours, the NIV didn't begin this way. And the word of the Lord came this way. But that, that, that and right there. And, and, and the dove, both of those two words are connected. And so most English, English um, translation just says the word of the Lord came. But I was reading this guy named Robert Alter who studies um, Old Testament literature. And then at, he said that word and needs to be there. And then I read another guy, Jonathan Goldgate, who studies Old Testament literature. And he says that word and needs to be there. The reason why both of those guys are saying and needs to be there is this story is a continuation of something that's happening all around. So it's like, and the word of the Lord, and you're supposed to be thinking, oh, he's connecting it to something else that's happening around the community. So Jonah isn't happening in an isolated bubble. Jonah is happening in a story connected to the larger story of God's Old Testament people primarily, even the the New Testament people to some extent. I just wanted to share that because I think that's very important. Okay, so you guys read Jonah chapter one. What was unique about this chapter? What were some things that just instantly jumped out to you? When you think of a prophet, you don't think of like someone running away from God. Mm. So this is like a prophet, you know, a prophet of God who's running away from God. It's like, you know, it's like what? You know? Okay, running. Can we think of any other people who may have been, maybe they didn't run like Jonah, but that may have been reluctant to their call? Moses. <laughs> and the church said amen. Anyone else? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. He, he, was more, he was more open. Maybe not like super open. He's like, I'm just a boy, but he didn't run. Praise God. Jesus. We're not going to go into the New Testament yet. But, but Jesus wasn't reluctant. I mean, I guess in the garden you could look at it. That was a tough moment. Gideon. Gideon isn't a prophet, but Gideon was reluctant. Jacob. Is Jacob a prophet? I don't think so. Okay, but we got Moses. How about Elijah? Not when he first began, but when Jezebel said, hey, I'm trying to kill you, that brother took off. He's like, all right. It's really important that we understand that there's a couple of other things that are just unique about what we see here. What else? He slept in the middle of a storm. He slept in the middle of the storm. Mm-hmm. He interacts with people who aren't Israelites, which is kind of different. He interacts with people who aren't Israelites for sure. Yeah, they cast lots at like someone's accountable, Irene. Yeah, I really like that he kind of says very casually, well, you have to throw me overboard, you know, like, kind of like, what's should we do? And then he's like, yeah, he's like, he was, it wasn't like he was, he wasn't protecting like his wife. Mm. He, he probably assumed he would just die. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, those, those are some very interesting things, Connor. Hold on, head scratching. Ah, bro, you got me again. 
Lindsay? Amen. Now let me ask you guys, if you're going to run from God, where would you go? Would you go to Tarshish? <laughs> Lenny might go. There are a lot of places you could pick. Why do you think he picked there? That's a, that's a great question. We don't know the answer yet. Why did he pick over there? Could it have been a, like a Timbuktu? Like culturally for its, like how it was written? Like he got a boat to Timbuktu. Mm. I don't actually know where Tarshish is. Next time I'm going to bring a map. I thought about putting a map, but I'm like, that's a little bit much. But next time I'll bring the map. They'll discount on the tickets. He's like, I'm trying to get out of here immediately. And I heard about a cell. Okay, we're going to answer that. We're going to circle back. Not, not this time, but we're going to circle back to why Tarshish. It sounds like Target, but it's not. Tarjay. All right. Is there anywhere else where a city or a person's sins has come before God? Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. Anywhere else? Is there anywhere else where a person or a city's sin has come before God? Kind of, but where someone is crying out to God or calling out to God because you said where? Yes, yes, for sure. Now, what what the he what the Bible is doing is when they say when they say things like there was an outcry, the, the, the scriptures really want you to connect their entire story. This is why beginning with the and the word of the Lord. It's like this is a continuation of a story that is happening and they want to bring these elements into this story so we can better understand this particular story and this particular moment. Which will help us as followers of Jesus better understand. I can't. I can't hear that. Yes. Okay. Now let's go with some of those things. When people cry out to God, what usually happens? What, what's God's response generally? He's going to hear the cry and respond. In what way does he normally respond? Positively. Something. <laughs> The Gifford household has covered both ends. <laughs> but how does God respond? Like, we know he's going to respond, but how? In what way? But through what means? Through a person, a deliverer. Sometimes a prophet. Sometimes just a deliverer, right? And why does God usually send this person, this deliverer, this prophet, this, this like a David-like figure? Why does he send them? To? Well, usually they're, they're in sin and that God is trying to warn them to change their ways in order for them to be right with God. Okay, yes. Yeah. Sometimes the people are in sin and God is trying to get someone to correct them. In Moses' case, the people are in captivity. Right now, because we all know Jonah chapter 4, you're going to Jonah chapter 4. I want us to stay in Jonah chapter 1. We want to stay right here because we don't know how the story ends, even though we know how the story ends. We're able to draw more from the scriptures when we kind of sit 
where we are presently. Does that make sense? So all of you guys are thinking, I know how this story ends, so these people are evil. No, we don't know that yet because we're not in chapter 4. We've not been told that from anybody. So now let's stay right here. What do we know about Nineveh so far? It's a great city. God has never said that about any other city since then. I don't actually know if that's true or not. <laughs> but it's definitely a great city. Preach against this great wicked city. Does anyone know where Nineveh is located? Like in what nation is it located in? Does anyone know anything about Assyria and their and their relationship to Israel? You said it becomes Babylon? It actually doesn't become Babylon. But that's a good good guess. Does anyone else know anything about Israel's relationship to Assyria? You said what? Assyria did have a lot of trade. It was a world power for a season too. Anyone else? They fought. The, the Assyrians didn't free the Israelites, but that's good. Lincoln. Yeah, so Assyria became a conquering nation, and they were pretty vicious in their Yeah. Yeah, they were very cruel. And so now that we know that tidbit, this is about maybe 40 to 50 years before that incident happens. But there's ongoing wars happening here. Why do you think Jonah ran? That's a good guess. You read chapter four. I told you don't read chapter four. Don't read chapter four. Okay. Let's just say hypothetically. Does God show mercy to non-Israelites? Sometimes. All the time? Maybe? That's, Sometimes? That's an open question. Uh, at this time, with, with, the, with the Hebrews, right? I mean, they, like, this was kind of a unique part of the story. Was, is that Jonah was sent to a Gentile. You are correct. You are correct. You see, here's the challenge that I think instantly once we know the end of the story, what we end up doing is we don't wrestle with the difficulty of this decision and wrestle with the humanity of the man being sent to go do something. It would be similar if we went back into a time machine into the Second World War period and sent a Jew to go preach to Germany. I'm like, no way, not them. They're slaughtering our people. And so it's very important that we understand that there is a strong tension and conflict happening right here in this moment. And so this great city for a Jew represents their, their adversary at this point. And so 
when God's, when these cities cry out, God usually sends someone, and he sent Jonah, poor Nineveh, because he went the wrong way. So what can we gather about Jonah's character so far? He doesn't have an us and them perspective. He doesn't have an us and them perspective. Okay. He's a good sleeper. He's a good sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, anything else? What what can we gather? Lord has. He's disobedient to God. He's running. He's disobedient to God. He is running for his life. Tim and Lincoln and Ken. I think uh, even though he was disobeying God, he had a deep faith in God. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to kind of what um, Irene was saying. Like he, you know, he, I don't know, it makes you wonder if he had faith to know God was going to provide a fish. Like maybe, maybe he just was like, a, God will get me. Mm. Yeah, I agree. He does have. He could potentially have great faith. There's something honest and authentic about him. And, you know, there's something authentic and honest. Mm-hmm. I think about you know, you can see this. Yeah, for sure, Ken. God, um, yeah, I feel like he has a real relationship. God is very real to him. I got to follow what he says because um, he was. He had a relationship with him. He was running from him. Yeah. Now, is where, how is Jonah being painted right now? As of chapter one, hero, antagonist, complicated figure. Very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's human. I mean, he's real. Yeah, it all depends on who you ask it, right? Do you think Jonah would have been received by the Assyrians if he told them, I was called to preach to you guys, but instead I'm not going to do it? Do you think they'll still kill him anyway? Why not? Just kill him. <laughs> like we're enemies. <laughs> They're probably going to go home. How, how would he have been received by the Jews? They would have been fired up probably. They're like, yeah, man. But you don't even need to let, let it be a blind attack. Let God come over to show their bam, I got them. Like, they, 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 they're rivals. They're, they're, they're enemies. And so what we see about Jonah's character is really a couple of things. A, he slept through a storm that he knew, right? The scriptures say he knew God was trying to kill him. How many of you can sleep when you're guilty? When you feel like the weight of all the guilt in the world? Most of us stay up. <laughs> right? So what does that say about Jonah? That he could get a deep sleep going on in the midst of knowing that a storm is happening. But it's a big escape to... It's a huge so escape. people sleep, I mean, it, 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 oversleep. It could be from depression. But he might just have just tried to kind of forget about the situation. So what am I going to do? How do I get out of here? I'll go to sleep. Okay, so there's a possibility... He may actually just be overwhelmed and slept, right? 
Now, both of these are still a fruit of him doing what? Disobeying that calling. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He does. He doesn't know quite yet. Now, it's very interesting here as we're thinking about Jonah's character. What are some other kind of cues we get from Jonah here? What's what's a unique title he uses of himself? Hebrew. What what what's the normal title that most people use? Israelite. Why do you think he switched it? Why do you say I'm a Hebrew? That could definitely be it. Anyone know what Hebrew, what, what, a, what the word Hebrew means? Wanderer, like someone wandering. Anyone knows what Israel means? So what is he doing right now? That boy is wandering. <laughs> He's like, I'm out of here, man. I'm not wrestling with God's will anymore. I'm wandering. I found myself wandering again. It's an interesting way of introducing himself. Because, again, all the people would say, I'm an Israelite. I serve the God of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he chooses here to say, I'm a, um, a Hebrew, a wanderer. What else do we see about his character so far? He's collected. What do you mean? Right. He's surprisingly calm. Like Irene mentioned earlier, like, oh, yeah, I know how to stop this. Throw me over. Kill me. That's 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 interesting. Lindsay. Okay, Nick, and then Iggy. I was going to say that like he, there is a level of selfishness to him because he is running from God, but at the same time, he doesn't want other people to suffer for his decisions. So like, like Lindsay just said, like he's willing to say, hey, this is on me, not them. So just throw me overboard. You got to be fine. Okay, potentially. Iggy? Okay. Okay. So we're going to we're going to keep circling back to his character. Is it possible to run away from the presence of God? Can someone give me a scripture? That's exactly the one I had in mind at least. Psalm 139. So he's running and if he's a solid Jew, like we think he is, a solid Israelite, like we think he is, he probably knows that he can't really run from the presence of God, right? So even when the storm is happening, he's like, yeah, I know what's going on. God is upset. For some reason, I always get the 
vibes whenever I hear about this um, and think about it. I always picture like in a movie when they're like under a ship or something like that, and all the guys are sitting under there at the table and they're rolling dice or something and they're talking about like, what are we gonna do, what are we gonna do? I can just picture uh, Jonah just like asleep in the hammock but not really asleep, like with the hat over his face and listening to the conversation. And they're like, who's responsible? And he's like, you fools, it's my fault. <laughs> it's always been me. And everyone's like, well, what do we do? And he's just so calm. But at the same time, he's like, he knows exactly what's going on. Mm. Mm. But I just picture it. I think doing that mental imagery is helpful to bring the scriptures to life for sure. Try to imagine what, what's act, what we're actually reading. Um, but yeah, we, we can't run from the presence of God. So he knows that. Let's just, I think, I think it's safe to say he probably knows that. And so he, he knows he can't avoid God. So back to the initial question. Well, someone mentioned earlier, he's like ready to die for the people. Is he really? Like, is he really? If he knows he can't run from the presence of God and he knows that the storm is a result of God looking for him, is he really... Dying for the people, is he really dying for noble, wanting to die for noble reasons? That's a great question. Chapter 4 tells us the answer. We're not, we haven't gone there yet. Yeah, it's like he, he's willing to die for the sailors, but not for Nineveh. Mm. Come on, bro, you're so deep. It's too late in the evening for that, Lincoln. <laughs> we got to wait till midday to be deep. Uh, but yeah, that, 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 that's a great point. That's a really great point. Is Jonah offering himself up as an atoning sacrifice? Is Jonah taking on a Christ role for the people? Yeah, for the sailors. Intentionally or unintentionally? What do you think? I mean, it seems intentional. So you think he is taking on what we would later see in Jesus, a messianic role, like I'm doing this? Out of sheer, what the Greek would say, agape, complete love for you guys. No, no, partial love. <laughs> no, I think it's almost like he knew, like they asked him very, you know, blatantly, you know, like, um, you know, tell us what we, we should do, you know, like the kind of thing. And he's like, it's like he knew the answer. Mm hmm. Yeah. Can we think of any other Old Testament person who did kind of offer themselves up in a Christ-like way as an atoning sacrifice for the people? In what way, Mark? Uh, there was a time when, well, because uh, it's coming down with the Ten Commandments the first time, and people were doing their offering to the golden calf. And Come on. And it was like, oh, God, you know, just kill yeah. Now, why do we feel more confident that Moses' intentions were pure versus, say, Jonah right now, where it, it, it's raised some questions? We're like, I don't know what his motives were totally. Why do we feel like Moses' intentions were more pure?
Yeah, well, think about who they both are offering themselves up for. What was going, Mark just told us what was going on with the Israelites. They were involved in idol worship and they were having like the wildest party you ever seen in your life. Moses hadn't done anything wrong. In this story, so far as we know, who's the only one who's done something wrong? Jonah's the only one who's done something wrong. So in some ways, Jonah is functioning as an anti-Jesus to some extent. He's like, I'm offering myself up because I'm guilty. I'm not offering myself up because I happen to care for you sailors of Tarshish. Tarjay. He's like, and so what we're seeing here is kind of a silhouette is being sculpted of Jonah right now. You're at your 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 famous Israelite, I mean Israelite prophets look a certain way. Jonah's starting to look the complete opposite of those guys. He's starting to look very much like, I hate to say it, but like a lot of us, right? Complicated. <laughs> we have those moments of sheer mm, and then we have those other moments where you're like, yo, that was not my top ten play right there. That, that was not good. He he's very complicated. And that's what the story is kind of building itself up. I asked you guys to begin with what was something interesting. And we, we talked a little bit about the setting, the ship, and him just kicking it on the ship. And, you know, Jonah at three times, anytime you see in the Bible, something gets repeated several times, especially a direction. They're trying to point you to something. So he went down like three times. He went down to Tarshish, then he went down into the boat, and then he went down even further to go sleep. They're, they're giving you the descending, like, and in this story in particular, they're trying to help you see that it isn't he's just going down. His character is taking the same trip. Like at every point, he sees the storm is going on. Why didn't he offer immediately? Hey, it's me, guys. He's like, let me go to sleep. He's like, I'm a rest. Maybe it was stress. Maybe he was like, uh-huh. And even in this moment, do you see a confession of repentance? I did this to you guys, and I'm so sorry. When David took the census, even though he was tempted by Satan, which is a whole bag there, right? Like, you're like, who knows? Uh, when David took the, the census and he realized he was in the wrong, he offered himself up because he messed up on everyone's behalf. Do you get that impression of Jonah? No. Jonah's like, I'm not offering myself up for you guys. So why is Jonah offering himself up? To run away. Right now, it looks like he rather died than do the mission. Right now, that's what it seems like. We don't know what chapter two says. We don't know what chapter three says. We don't know what chapter four. But right now, look, I rather die than do what God calls me to do. How many of us have felt that feeling? <laughs> you're like, you're like, God, you want me to do what? Nah, kill me. I don't care what you say. Kill me. Go ahead. You're like, oh, that's really noble, man. You really understand. You're like, no, I'm, I'm struggling with the highest degree of selfishness right now. And I'd rather die than let go of that selfishness. And so Jonah is a very complex figure. Like he's one of the heroes of scripture to some extent. And yet right here, we're seeing him in a very real and vulnerable moment where he's like, I'd rather die than do the will of God. And so he's not a Christ figure in this way. He, so... If you were looking for Jesus, you know, the Old Testament, they always pointed to that messianic figure who will step on the head of the serpent. 
Jonah just X himself out of that category. <laughs> like, I don't think you're our guy right now. You're not the Messiah, but let's see how your story plays into the larger story. But what about the sailors? They thought he was innocent. Isn't that crazy? What else do we notice about the sailors here? They, they did think he was innocent. Yeah, at, 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 very, at the very least, they didn't want God's issues. Right. <laughs> They're like, I'm not going to kill your people, and then you come and kill me. I don't know about that. Yeah. Uh, uh, then, well, thought, it, it looks like it's, this looks like they're, they're praying to um, Jonah's God, too. When, before they weren't praying, they're praying for other gods in the past. It's, it seems like there's a change going on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when the storm is going crazy, the sailors discern that it could be something spiritual, right? Like they're like, God is like out here moving. And what does Jonah do? He goes to sleep. <laughs> He's like, this is this is one thing when um, the sailors are really still trying to figure out what's going to happen and who's responsible. They cast lots. They're, they're looking really hard to solve the solution to the problem that they currently have. Jonah is still asleep. He's like, I'm not worried about what's going on here. And then they wake Jonah up and tell him to do what? Call on your God. Go pray. Pray to somebody. Like, get it. Get it, Jonah. Pray. We need you. In this story, who's acting like the Israelites? The sailors. They're wrestling in this moment for God. They're like, whatever, God. Somebody help us, somebody rescue us, somebody deliver us. Where Jonah in this story is not acting like an Israelite. He's acting like someone who doesn't know God well. And so when he says his confession that he's a Hebrew, the guy who worship, um, he worships the God of the Lord of the heavens and the earth and the dry lands. How credible is that testimony right now? You're like, I don't know. Whatever. And they know, like um, Fred mentioned, the sailors are wrestling with whether or not they want to toss him over because they don't want to kill him. Because if this God is as powerful as to destroy their ship, he might destroy them. And so even then they offer up a prayer. And there's, and there's an interesting thing. The sailors began this story afraid of what? The storm. The storm. They end this story afraid of who? Yeah. The Lord. Yeah. They went through a full conversion here. Not, not that they became Israelites and they started worshiping God, but they went through a, I don't know, but your God is powerful and I fear that. Again, I don't think they, I, I, I don't know if we have enough information here to say that they changed theology. Like there was a conversion from whatever they were in Tarshish to now the only Israelite community in Tarshish. But they moved from a fear of the storm to a fear of God. What do we see from Jonah. Really, right now, chapter one, no character development. We, yeah, we just see a descent to some extent, but we don't see a character development right now where the sailors were seeing something that's going to be a preview. Lenny already ruined the story for us. We're going to see a preview. 
to how non-Israelite communities might respond to God's will. Okay, okay. <laughs> the first three verses. <laughs> he didn't want God to be merciful to them. All right. And so we're going to end here, unless there's any other questions. And then next time we meet up, we're going to go over chapter two. Again, we're not doing any practicals or anything like that till chapter four. Chapter four, once we have the big story, it'll make sense on how us as followers of Jesus need to respond to this story. Any questions or concerns or maybe even certain something you want me to clarify? Like, Steve, I don't know about that doctrine. And I just say, pray for me. <laughs>